Hey, I'm Austin Cleon, and I'm about to have a very productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. It's me, Mike Vardy, and I'm bringing you a very special episode. Austin Cleon returns to the show to celebrate the anniversary edition of Steel Like an Artist. I was really excited to be able to have this conversation and bring it to you as a special bonus episode because I'm a big fan of Austin's work, have been for a long time, and we get into the idea of, uh, you know, what sequel he happens to like. Because not all sequels suck get into that we get into this idea of wonder we talk about the Beatles we talk about a bunch of things related to artistry and routine and ritual and how you might be able to incorporate that in your life whether you're an artist or not because let's face it we're all an artist and why not steal like an artist because of that so let's get to it here is my conversation with Austin Kleon and a productive one at that so without further ado let's get to my productive conversation with the one and only Austin Kleon Austin, thanks for returning to the program today. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. So right out of the gate, um, it's early in the morning. I've made my cup of coffee. I couldn't start this without having it in my very specific cup. I've got my Create Cup. Uh, I have very specific cups that I use. There's a very much a routine to what I do. And, and I want to get into this right out of the gate because um, you talk about the idea of ritual and things like that. Since Steel Like an Artist came out, how much has that has that either increased the, the, the importance of ritual? Like what has changed for you as you've gone, like in, in the time that you've written Steal Like an Artist and when it came out, what role does ritual play? What, what, what has changed or what is, you know, strengthened? Well, the biggest thing that happened is my wife was pregnant with my first son when Steal Like an Artist came out. So I'm about to have a 10-year-old. And so having children that ritual routine stuff has become even more important um, because, and if there are any parents listening here, um, I I think that my ability to stick with the routine um, to show up and be able to work whenever I have a few minutes (laughs) or more um, relying on that daily practice that I have has just gotten more important uh, with age as my responsibilities and the pull of the world um, has grown even greater, you know. Um, And as life becomes more complicated, we need more of those simple routines to rely on, I think. And and, I mean, it's been, you know, a decade, right, since it came out, right? So, so, (laughs) I mean, you were, we were both in different places when this book came. I remember reading it when it first came out. I actually didn't buy a copy until I read the advance of the new version. And it's not because cool. like it was just, it, it hit well, I was thinking about this the, <laughs> this morning when I was lying in bed w- awake. I'm like, there's different words that change, you know, like when it, when it, when it lands, it lands differently or whatever. But this time the book hit different, like this is a new phrase, like hit, hit different. Doesn't, isn't, isn't one I would use very often, but it did. It just, hit different now. How does this book, because I mean, right out of the gate, you're like, I'm talking to a previous version of myself. How does this book hit different now? Well, I think what what's, so there's levels and levels. I, I think what's beautiful about what you just said is the real secret of reading, which is rereading throughout life. The magic of books is that they stay the same, but you change. Right. And so when you reread a book, 
you're coming to it a different reader and with different experiences, and that changes the whole reading experience. And knowing that is, I think, really important to having a rich reading life because what it tells you is that when a book doesn't hit you, it doesn't necessarily mean it won't hit later. And it's okay to put it down and come back to it later or not. And so this is doubly exacerbated as a writer (laughs) because when you read your old writing, you're so different. And you have a tendency to only see the problems with it. But the other thing that happens that I have been shocked by is – I find myself kind of inspired by this young guy who has all this confidence, you know, I kind of need that now as someone who's been, you know, kicked around a little bit more and has a little bit of wisdom of the years under me. I need that kind of youthful, punky spirit uh, to myself. And so, um, but it's strange. I've told people there's more time in between the me now and the me who wrote the book than there was between the me who wrote the book and the 19-year-old he was writing it for who shows up in the beginning. So so it's a very – time is weird, but I don't actually believe in linear time anymore the older I get. I think time is more like a spiral. It's uh, seasons and cycles. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> we were just talking – I was just talking about this with someone yesterday about daylight savings time because we're recording this literally after it happened. And I said, you know, if everyone decided to change to a new standard time but it's da- but it was daylight savings time that's pretty trippy like the fact that we just go yeah you know what this is the new standard time like it just goes to show in yeah. some ways how amorph- like amorphous and ambiguous and malleable time really is when you think about it yeah i mean and i love finding the natural marks of time you know the the year is a revolution around the sun yep. You know, seasons we have, that's tilting of the axis of the earth. Um, Months, you could even say, are sort of like, they're kind of uh, based on moon cycles, but not really. Mm -hmm. The week is completely man-made. Have you read read Aviatar Zerubbabel's uh, The Seven-Week Circle? Have you read that book? No, that Uh, sounds up my alley, though. He he has written a lot about time. It's really fascinating, the history of the week, because you're right, it's the only... It's the yeah. only increment of time that man said we we kind of need this, and it, it the <laughs> the fascination of it it's it's a it's an act it's a deep read, but man, you go yeah. oh my. <laughs> so the unit of time that I believe in is the day. The sun comes up and then the sun goes down, mm-hmm. and then it's what you do with the day. If you can focus on what you can do with the day. Uh, and then have the faith and confidence that those days will add up to something later. That, for me as an artist, as a writer, as a parent, as a human being, has been the most important thing. Focus on the day and what you can do with it, and stick around long enough that those days can accumulate into something later on. Well, and you, you've kept a logbook for quite a while that kind of illustrates this, right? Like, I mean, I'm going through, when, <laughs> yeah. when, when you go through the, you know, the book, and again, one, one of the great things about your work period is that you, you, you break patterns with it, right? Like in terms of like, you know, there's illustrations and then there's sketches and, 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 you know, I mean, you talk about, you know, that there's illustrations of the calendar when you wrote your first book and things like that. I'm a big fan of journaling. Um, and, and I think that since, have you seen more people take on that idea of keeping a log book or a journal or a diary? Like, have you heard more about that? since Steel Like an Artist came out? Or is it just that 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 um, bias of, well, now you're hearing more about it because you happen, happen to be in that realm? And again, for those that 
aren't keeping a journal right now. And, you know, I've beaten that drum. You've beaten that drum. What's one thing that you could say to them that's like, hey, this is a good reason to do it? I think the best reason to do it is what Joan Didion said about keeping a notebook is there's real value in keeping in touch with previous versions of yourself. Um, seeing where you've been kind of helps you know where you're going. I mean, the one thing I will say about keeping a logbook is it's really a glass half empty, half full type thing. <laughs> because when you read your logbooks, for me personally, I realize just how repetitive and cyclical my life is, how I find myself at the same points I've been before. And you can either get depressed by that or you can find great opportunity in it. Say, oh, well, I had been here before and I know that when I'm in a low spot, I get to this other place. You know, one of my favorite movies is Groundhog Day Love with it. Bill Murray. Love it. <laughs> And as a creative person, I've always felt very much like Phil in that you're always starting with a blank page. No matter where you are in your career, you always have to start something new eventually. And so the question, what next, pops up whether you just started acting or whether you just won an Oscar. You know, what next is the question that every answer has to artist and uh, every artist has to answer until they die, mm -hmm. you know. And so I always just uh, when I get bottomed out, I just kind of pretend like I'm Phil in Groundhog Day. <laughs> you know, there's no tom there's no tomorrow. There's no yesterday. There's just the day and what you could do with it. <laughs> well, and, and again, there's an article. I'll put a link in the show notes about how long Phil was actually stuck in that time loop. Have you I mean, it was like, have, do you did you ever figure out they, yeah like it, 34 years <laughs> yeah in the original script it was ten thousand years yeah. and um and and then i think it yeah what what did you say it was like 34 years it's like 33 the, years and 78 days like it's <laughs> someone did the math on it which you know you need yeah, that because that's yeah. the internet uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what the internet does. Trivia. Uh, <laughs> Useless trivia. But, but, you know, you bring up in the book, you actually bring up um, Harold Ramis, who wrote it. Yes. Right? And, yes. Uh, and he directed it, too, if I remember correctly. Very good. Um, yes. So absolutely. In, in the book, you talk about a quote that he said, find the most talented person in the room. And if it's not you, go stand next to him, hang out with him, try to be helpful. And, of course, Bill Murray was that person for him. Who? What about you? What's the, what's an example for you? Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepasswordcom slash ConVo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there, and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. 
In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Oh man, that's a great question. Um, you know, when I was first starting out, my little hustle, you might call it, when I was a young writer trying to get, you know, my feet in the world, the thing I did was I went to lots of readings by other writers. So I was living in Cleveland when I first started out. That's where my uh, wife is from. And I just went to every fiction reading I could. So I went to see Dan Sean. I went to see George Saunders, went to see Kelly Link, went to see uh, Charles Baxter, All anyone great who came into town. Um, I would go see them and I'd pay very close attention to what they did. But the thing that I did that was really, I thought helped me stand out was I drew them. So I would draw people while they were reading. Cause one of the great things about fiction readings is that people stand very still when they read. And so it's kind of easy to draw them. And what I would do is I would go home and post these, uh, post these drawings on my blog it's very hard for people to remember that like 15 years ago, it wasn't so easy to just pop, pop a picture up on your blog. You know, you had to like scan your notebook cause cell phones were so low res, you know, so you had to like scan your notebook and make the file size small enough that it could fit on your blog and all this stuff. There was, there was a barrier to that. But one of the things that was amazing is, I mean, I'd say one out of two or maybe two out of every three people I drew would contact me afterwards and say, Hey, I saw that drawing that you did on your blog. That was really cool. Like, thanks for coming. And those people became people I was connected to all of a sudden, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that was my way of, I don't think there was a particular person that I stood next to, but there were always people that I said, gosh, this person's amazing. If I just use my few little talents as a student to shine a light on their work, then I've got one little foot in this world that I want to be part of. So the game in the beginning was always shining a light on these people who I thought were genius and great and, you know, praising their work as a way of entering that world as a fan first. Cause right. I had this feeling that if you wanted fans that you had to be a fan first, well, you know? Well, and the thing is you, the way you did it was ritualized to a degree too. You knew exactly what you were going to do to yes. a degree, at least the context of it. You don't know what's going to happen. And that's the great thing about being an artist, right? Is that you've got this, foundation but you get to play within the sandbox right yeah and i mean that you're right i i had never thought about that before but it did become a ritual where i'd go to a reading and pull out the sketchbook and just having the courage to draw in front of an audience i mean because when you're sitting in a crowd and like people are around you and you're drawing just to be okay with people seeing you and and knowing what you're doing and that kind of thing i guess it did take a little bit of of gumption, I suppose. But one of the things that's always uh, uh, served me as a creative person out in the world is I don't have an embarrassment gene. I'm willing to humiliate myself in public. Luckily, I think that people can train themselves to do this because I do think it's a big part of the job. It's something, there's something about a creative person, 
you know, making the work is one thing, but putting it out in the world is another. And you just have to develop a ability to humiliate yourself <laughs> in public, I think. I, I, you know, and it's, uh, I agree, actors, writers, anybody, I mean, they've, you know, you're putting yourself out there. And that's, and, and you have to have that capability. Um, you know, I'm reading as we're going through the book. And one of the things is about the originality part, like making copies. And there's a part in the book that I think is really present right now in terms of some of the stuff we've heard about the Beatles recently. Like you watched Get yeah. Back, I'm sure, right? You must have. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so when, when we're talking about emulation and things like that, like, you know, when uh, Paul McCartney saying that he emulated certain people. There is that one scene, and you I think you know what scene I'm going to talk about here, where the artistry, where you see a song being born. Uh, yes. I would love to hear your thoughts on that particular scene. And if I'll link to the, there's a YouTube of it for sure that I'll link yeah. in the show notes. So I'd love to hear your thoughts because I can only imagine Austin Clam watching this scene <laughs> and going, <laughs> oh my, like, because it, it floored me. I could only imagine what you were thinking. There's a beautiful scene in Get Back. I mean, the whole project of Get Back, someone po pointed out to me that it, it's really top to bottom. It's kind of embodies everything that I care about with yep. creative work. This idea that you don't wait until you have a bunch of great songs to get in the studio. You show up at the studio and you see what happens. First of all, that, that act in itself, I mean, it's nice to be the Beatles that you could pay for studio time and that kind of exploration, first of all. Right. But, um, you know, the timeline they were on is, is incredible to start out with. But the scene in particular that's the magic that everyone, that captures everybody, is you watch Paul McCartney and he's got his bass. And he starts strumming his bass like a guitar, first of all. If you're a musician, you're watching this guy play a bass like a guitar, which in itself is really strange and interesting. And he just starts strumming. And there's something about the strumming that it seems to activate something in him. And they start humming along. And pretty soon, he's just strumming and humming. And there's a great close-up of George Harrison and Ringo Starr. They look like they're about to fall asleep because they're so desperately bored in this situation. But over time, you know, Paul's strumming, and they start saying, get back, get back. And all of a sudden you watch them kind of, oh, wait a minute. They're, they're witnessing something happen, and we're witnessing it too. And the, but the thing that I, I don't think Paul McCartney had an idea in his head of what he wanted to do. I think he started moving his hands, and the hands made sound, and he heard the sound, and he reacted to the sound, and the idea was birthed out of this, this, this loop of mind to hand to ear, right? Mm -hmm. this, this loop of, this feedback loop. And you watch him invent this thing, and I think it's such a terrific, um, it's such a terrific lesson for all of us who do creative work. You don't have to have the idea. What you have to do is show up with the time, space, and materials, and you have to try, to, you just show up. That's the first job, and then you start moving. And it's the repetitive motions, going through the motions, so to speak, that's the thing that kickstarts the work a lot of the time. And to have the faith that if you just show up with the time, space, and materials, that something will happen. It might not be genius, 
but something will happen. I think that's the great lesson from that scene. It's absolutely (laughs) like I watch it. The other thing, I mean, you bring up environment in the book too. And that's one of the things that comes up in that movie as well. The idea of like, they couldn't do certain things in the one studio and they end up moving. And that's fascinating in and of itself as well. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Yeah, the first rehearsal space they're in is this kind of cavernous it's like an airport. It's like a it's like an airplane hangar, isn't it, or something like that? Yeah, and it's just not working for them, and they know it. They know they have to go somewhere different, you know. And then they they move, and then all this. They I think they move to the Apple Studios yeah. downstairs, and suddenly they're in this more cozy environment. And that's a great um, that's a great lesson for creative people too. Finding out what kind of space you need. Um, you know, I'm someone who actually doesn't like to work in a big studio. I like cozy little spaces. I like to make the room feel like the inside of my skull in a sense that I'm inside a bigger skull, (laughs) a little skull inside a bigger skull, you know, but to know like where so much of the creative process is to know what works for you. Mm -hmm. And it's great to take inspiration. I love reading all the books about daily routines of famous artists and writers and stuff. I love all those books, but they're only valuable when you find the things that genuinely resonate with your own process, right? That you can use. And that's true also of your creative work that you do. You have to find the influences, not the stuff that everybody else is looking at or the stuff that you feel like you should looking at, but the stuff that actually resonates with you that's the stuff you have to pay attention to and bring into your work because the more in love with your influences you are, the more genuinely they'll come back out in your own work and the more you'll connect with them. And, and you talk about in the book the idea of wonder and the importance of wonder and bringing people into it. Um, Jeffrey Davis's book called Tracking Wonder, which kind of got me into this. I mean, I think I've wondered for a long time. I think I wander and I wonder. You talk about getting away. I do that. I go for a walk every day. Part of my, it's really weird because these things just become who you are. Arnold Schwarzenegger was interviewed recently and they said, how do you train every day? He goes, what do you mean? How do I train every day? It's just like, that's me. Like it's, it, it becomes so innately, but uh, th- this, this idea of wonder, what is, how important is it? In the in the in the work of an artist, especially when those who are really concerned about just cracking, because a lot of artists try to create something original, and we know that there's that bias. I mean, I put it out in the world, I got to make something new, or I got to do that. Like, there's this 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 tension there, and I think wonder kind of releases that tension to be to a bit to a degree when you give into it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on on the importance of wonder. I think it's everything. I think it's it's the curiosity is really the root of a really being curious about the world and everything in it 
is really, I think, at the heart of an artist or a creative person's life. I mean, all children are curious. So we start out curious about the world and then we start knowing about it. And then we get less curious over time because we think we know things. And so that's why I think a lot of great creative work is rooted in a not knowing, uh, knowing that there is so much that you don't know and remaining curious. Um, I think it actually keeps you alive. I mean, a lot of the elderly artists I've studied, people like, I don't know, uh, Wayne Tebow or, or, or David Hockney um, to take painters. But I just watched a video of 106 year old piano player. And she said it was her curiosity, her childlike wonder about the world that kept her alive. And she said, there's no, there's, you know, Agnes Varda once said to my friend, Oliver Jeffers, she said, there is no age. The only age is alive. And, and yeah. I love that. This idea that if you can stay curious about the world, um, then you can stay alive to it. And, and open then, and wonder. And the 19-year-old gets to last a little bit longer at that age range. <laughs> Maybe they got the wisdom, but they at least get that youthful zeal that you were talking about. I got a couple more questions yeah. before I let you go. One is from a member of my Time Crafting Trust community because I asked them, I said, hey, do you have any questions for Austin? And oh, he, cool. he actually mentioned, his, Pete, he said, I remember reading Creativity Means Subtraction, which we're not, that's not the question though, because he's like, I think it was Austin. I'm like, yes, it definitely is because it's inside the book. But he said, <laughs> what, what his question is, how do you know what to steal? Oh, gosh. I, I think, so it's interesting. You steal what you can use, you know? I mean, that that's what's so beautiful is you don't really worry about what's good or bad as much as what you can use in your own work. And I think that, you know, I have a friend named John Unger and he says, every work I did was because I either saw bad and knew I could do better or saw great and wanted to catch up. And I, that's not exactly what we're talking about here, but there is a sense that bad art can inspire you just as much as great art, <laughs> you yep. know, that in some ways it's seeing the holes in, in life, the spots that you need to fill with your own efforts that generates the work. But I've frequently, you know, I follow a lot of people whose work I might not, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but, you know, sometimes I follow people whose work I don't necessarily love, but who go about it in a way that's very helpful to me, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, so, so there's moves that you can steal from players who you don't even really like their game that much, but they've got some good moves, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you want to speak in like, uh, but, but there is a sense in, in, in that, no, you know, I think what you steal is what you can use. Now the, the caveat I would put to that is, you steal whatever just lights up that thing inside you. Some some little sensor. You know, you got little, like, whatever sets off your nervous system. You say, this could be something. That's what you steal. And you save it for later, even if you can't use it right away. You're like, I'm going to file this away because it's, it's setting off something in me. And, and that's it. You know, it's internal. It's, it's, um, it's intuition. It's gut strings. It's, it's funny. I was thinking, as you were talking about this, I'm thinking about that new Netflix show, Guardians of Justice. Mm. And it's so trippy and weird. And it's art. It's, it's like just a mashup of all these different types of, uh, it's bizarre. 
but I can't take my eyes off of it. Like, it's a hard thing to follow. I'm like, where is this going? But yeah. I'm like, well, but I'm going to keep, uh, and it's not like it's like, it's a slog. It's just, there's that curiosity that you're talking about. Like, where is this going? Is and, this? and why? And, and yeah. it, 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 it's so, I don't know. If, I mean, anyone who hasn't seen it yet, if you're into like anime and cartoons and superheroes and all that stuff, it's worth just exploring because there's just a, a level of, and there's some familiarity too. There's some people who are like, wait a minute, I know that person from something and wow, they're in this. Like it's that too, which is kind of fascinating to me. Um, I, some of my favorite art was stuff that repulsed me in the beginning mm. that I was like, what the is this? <laughs> and then I spent some time, but you don't look away because there's something, Yeah, you know, that's the thing. You, you really have to work on that detector, mm -hmm. that like something detector, yep. you know, and, and learn to listen to it. Yeah. Rob Walker. <laughs> I mean, the art of noticing, there's another, I mean, yeah. the, the, you spend some time noticing, you might see things that you, you wouldn't otherwise uh, pay attention to last question. And, uh, this is the big one. Um, sequels tend to suck, but which one of the sequels that you've watched in your lifetime did not suck and actually was better than the first one. Oh, wow. Uh, um, uh, oh my gosh. Uh, well, I actually, gosh, oh, this is hard. This is really hard. I mean, there's the generic answer, which is Empire Strikes Back. Sure. Um, and then, uh, Godfather Part Two, you could argue. Godfather Part Two, yep. right, yeah. Well, I actually argue with people that I think the first Creed is a better remake than any Star Wars movie. Oh. Like, I think the Creed, uh, the, the reboot of Rocky, yep. I think is actually more interesting and better well done than any star Wars movie. And I'll probably get hate for that. It's, but a, good, it's, I, a, it's a good movie. I still haven't seen the sequel to Creed though. I haven't, yeah, seen, Creed I haven't too. seen the sequel either. I'm a little afraid to because, <laughs> but you're right though. When you, and you bring something, I'm afraid to see the thing. And you talk about this, the idea of like, you have this idea of what it's going to be in your mind and then it's not that thing. But yet yeah. lately, and especially in the star Wars and Marvel pantheon, they're in the they're in the right stewardship where I'm like, oh, they nailed it, Spider Man, No Way, uh, No Way Home. Oh, that's that. I might not have done it that way, but that was better. And it's very rare that you find that. But I'm seeing it happen yeah. more in these where there's fan service, right? And I think that that's hilarious because there's a balance there too, right? Which I think is is finally you're finally seeing that balance of like, hey, you know what? We're not going to give you exactly what you want. We're going to do this because it fits into the story. But I think you're still going to like it a lot. Yeah. Well, like I love the original Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, but I also think Mel Brooks, like young Frankenstein, it, it's, it's like it sails above in some way. I like, that's the one I go back to, yep. you know? So there is a sense in which even a parody or a satire or something can rise up above the level of the original, depending on where you are. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Austin, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Where can people pick up the book and keep up with your work? Well, I would love it if you would walk or drive or bike to your local bookstore and pick it up there. And if it's not there, ask them to order it. Uh, but you can get it online wherever you buy books. And you can find me, uh, same same number, same hood, uh, austincleon.com. And that's where I live online and where I've lived for the past couple of decades. So stop by and say hello. Austin, thanks for having a productive conversation with me today. I found this very productive, so thank you. <laughs> Big
big thanks to Austin for taking the time to join me on the program. We could have talked for a lot longer, but he is currently promoting the book, which you can pick up, as he mentioned, at your local bookstores. In fact, I'd love it if you did that as well. We have a lot of great local bookstores here in Victoria, where I live. Or, of course, you can pick it up at Amazon and other booksellers online if you are so inclined. If you want to get the full show notes to this episode, just go to productivityist.com slash podcast AK2. A little bit different than our usual one because it's a very special episode. So again, productivities.com slash podcast AK2, the number two. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you subscribe to the podcast. That way you don't miss all of the episodes, including these very special bonus episodes. And please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to this show right now. That's it for now. Until next time, I'm the host, Mike Vardy, of A Productive Conversation, which makes sense because the podcast is called A Productive Conversation with Mike Vardy, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive and feel like an artist when you're not doing both of those things or when you are. (laughs) See you later.